This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to Spicier Than Therapy with Twin and Tear, the show where we discuss polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, communication, kink, neurodiversity, and all the wonderful things that we think go into establishing and maintaining a healthy relationship. I'm Twin Peaks. And I am Tear. Twin, what are we going to do on today's episode? The same thing we do every day, my love. Try to take over the interwebs. All right. Well, welcome back, you guys. Again, we're talking with Din Schaefer-Smith. And we're going to be, this time, uh, this this half, you guys, we are going to be talking um, about some heavier topics. So I did want to just give you a quick little um, trigger warning, if you will. Uh, We're going to be going over the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s um, and just um, the impact that had on the gay and leather scene. So, you know, if you are not ready to hear about that, that's okay. We'd love you. Thank you. Uh, you can come back when you're in a better headspace or, you know, don't, that's okay too. We love you anyway. And, uh, with that said, then I guess my first question, given, you know, everything we talked about last half was how do you think the concept of old and new guard, I know we kind of touched on it, but now I want to go into how has the concept of old and new guard changed since the AIDS epidemic? It has changed from, yes, the, the, the change has been quite drastic, quite tremendous. Uh, and I, I think I did mention uh, uh, briefly earlier because we lost so, so many people uh, to the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and early 90s. And a lot of people in the leather community were very um, heavily affected by the AIDS epidemic. Uh, it really wiped out uh, a lot of the leather community <sighs> It's just it, it it's mind boggling the number of people lost, but especially the number of people within the leather community that were lost, and because of losing so many uh, out of the leather BDSM community due to AIDS, there has been this tremendous gap uh, between generations. Uh, the loss of mentor, uh, the loss of old guard leather men who would have been great mentors for the uh, millennial generation who are now, you know, in their own right, um, practicing leather BDSM kink uh, in their own ways, simply because there are not a lot of us old guard guys still around. Uh, to provide the information. And so that's why when I come in contact with younger men and women who have an interest in uh, finding out about the old guard, it does my heart good to be able to share my story um, to keep those traditions alive a little bit uh, as we move forward. So that hopefully these young men that I've mentored and continue to mentor will pass along that information to their friends and to uh, other people that they're playing with in the leather community as well. So, right. yes, there was a there was a huge difference uh, simply because we lost so many. Right. Well, and the as far as as I understand it, you know, I've, of course, I was 
born in 91, so I don't remember, but I know that the the leather community specifically had a huge part to play in supporting the LGBTQ, you know, community as it was within the AIDS or during the AIDS crisis. Um, could you tell me Correct. a little bit about that? Because it was such a horrific uh, disease and still is, uh, but thankfully much more under control than it than in in the days of the early days. People were terrified. They didn't know how in the beginning how it was being tr transmitted, uh, and if someone were full blown AIDS, uh, their their physical appearance was oftentimes quite scary. And people were just scared to be in a room with someone who had AIDS. So the lesbian community and the leather community really stepped up to take care of our dying because they did not want these people dying alone. And because of that, more leather men got the disease as well. Uh, so we have, <clears throat> I do apologize for That's my okay, voice. Honey, take your time. Uh, such gratitude for our sisters, our lesbian sisters, and uh, such respect <clears throat> for the leather men who did step up to be there and support these men who were oftentimes shunned not only by their own families but also their friends who were just afraid of what none of us really knew about at the time because there was so little information of course as time went on and more information became available people were a little more willing to be around those who were even full-blown aids because they started beginning because we we gained a, a better understanding of, of exactly how the disease was transmitted but because of the early days of it even into the mid to late 80s when people were so terrified we just have to be so thankful I know I am thankful for those who were unafraid and willing to step up and and be there and you know toe the line and stay the course so that we are able to be where we are today. Right. That really tugs at my heartstrings because I I think like you mentioned a lot of uh, millennials and definitely Gen Z don't understand at that time they were, you know, like lepers. They were ostracized within their own community, general society. You mentioned friends, family, loved ones. And, you know, I recall being younger and seeing that movie Philadelphia with uh, Tom Hanks and Denzel and, you know, yes. people lost their jobs. They weren't invited anywhere and they were just treated like some social pariah. And for this current batch of generations, we can't even understand or comprehend that concept. So for us, that's probably mostly new information. We didn't realize or recognize what the cultural and societal norms were at the time, because like you said, it was a very scary unknown and nobody knew how to deal with it, what to do about it. And so right. everybody just pushed everyone to the side and that's heartbreaking. Thank you. Yeah. And it was, um, it was it was a lot, um, you know. That's definitely an understatement. But uh, it it was a lot to 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 deal with on a personal level, um, as well as just you know uh, on a world worldwide scale. It, it was a terrifying time, especially within the gay community uh, for gay men, especially uh, just a horrific, terrifying time. And you know, I was graduating high school in 
1982 when it was really starting to uh, gain media attention. attention. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to be 18 years old uh, from a very small town, I grew up in a very small rural area in West Tennessee. And then coming to Memphis to go to college and, and, and like I said, getting exposed to a gay, you know, uh, uh, being in a city where there were gay bars and there were people who were gay and on on our campus we had an orga- organization known as GALA, G-A-L-A, which was the Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Uh, and, you know, me being young and fearless and, you know, I'd come out as a senior in high school in a very small town and coming to Memphis was like, such an eye-opening wonderful experience and i was like yes i will join gala yes i will i will be out there shouting with a megaphone whatever i have to do uh hey world i'm gay and that's wonderful and i am not a freak and i am you know it's okay to be gay and come join us having that that wonderment and that awakening but at the same time being met with this horrific unknown disease was quite um a confusing you know contradiction of yes i'm i'm young and i'm gay and i'm coming into my own right but at the same time people like me are dying because of this unknown uh, disease. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a, a, a period of very mixed emotions. Um, but I was determined for me to not be one of these people who just stuck my head in the sand and acted like it didn't exist. So I tried to make sure that I remained as educated as I could be uh, so that I could not only protect myself, but protect others. Sorry, well, I, no. I sort, of, sort of went off on a tangent there, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Um, speaking of education, though, I did want to very quickly plug, um, we'll be linking resources in the um, uh, show description. Thank you, honey. We'll be linking uh, resources in the show description, dear listeners, um, for you know organizations like Friends for Life in Memphis, where you can get education, resources, and even uh, materials to help protect you against AIDS and, you know, to help live with AIDS. Um, I know Friends for Life, I believe, is still giving out PrEP for free. Um, I know they were at one point. I'm, I'm, don't quote me on that. Um, but I know that they have the resources and the information for you if yes, you're living with you're, HIV you're or AIDS. Correct. Yes. So yeah. we will definitely be linking to resources uh, like that in the show description for y'all. Thank you. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I wanted to say thank you for sharing your experience and your story with us as well. I mean, it's the fight for the the LGBTQIA plus community is slightly different now and it's evolved. And, you know, so much has changed since then. And it's because of that fight in the 80s and the 90s and all of the work that the communities were doing around, you know, equal rights and advocacy at the time. But there's still so many unknowns, um, you know, less so about certain types of diseases and more so about equality and fighting for, you know, basic human rights for all. So I just I appreciate you sharing your journey with us because I know that's that's emotional, especially having lived through it. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and and you know, I'll just I'll just add that, you know, especially during the late eighties and and in the nineties, especially the early nineties, I was never one to shy away from being on the the forefront uh, to raise awareness and raise money, and uh, you know, I was part of the group of men and women who did a lot of fundraising to get Memphis's first gay and lesbian community center up and running. And, you know, all of these years later, we still have the community center up and running here in Memphis, which is fantastic. And also I took part in 
fundraising events uh, that were specifically designed to help fund different organizations that were here in the city that were offering help and uh, resources to those who were living with AIDS and HIV. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. So then that leads me to my next question. Given the impact, you know, as, as massive as it was, that the AIDS crisis had on the gay scene and the gay community in general, how did that transform the gay community into what it is today? Like how, you know, what impact did that have on how the gay leather community looks today? Uh, It it definitely impacted uh, the way the community looks today, um, you know, simply because of just so many people passing away during the during the AIDS epidemic and so it really changed uh the face of especially the leather community here in Memphis because there were the pipeline which I had mentioned earlier ended up closing because uh the owners both passed away unfortunately and it was closed the the location where the pipeline is, you know, remained closed for some time. And then the the space was reopened as, and it's now the pumping station, which uh, is in a way our leather bar, but with it reopening in the early 2000s, they knew that in order to succeed as a new business, they had to be open to everyone. They couldn't just be a dress code type bar that the pipeline had been. So while the pumping station is where a lot of the leather people here in Memphis go to gather and uh, hang out with each other, it is a bar for everyone. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So the the impact of it has changed where it it really has helped, I believe, uh, integrate the leather community into the gay community in a better way by making it more visible, uh, making the leather people more visible, uh, and allowing the younger generations of gay men and women to have access to um, the lifestyle that they might not have had back in the 80s and 90s when it was so strictly enforced to be a you know a dress code bar you needed to look the part you really should be into leather and bdsm if you're coming into this bar kind of thing because while the pipeline did allow women in they only allowed women in who were members of a leather club called Women of Leather. They did not allow drag queens. They did not allow anyone who did not fit the mold or look the part. Yeah, into, that specific leather. Right. Wow, it, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, Women of Leather was uh, a leather club here that was you know, a leather club for women who were into the lifestyle those women were allowed into the pipeline no other women were so with how everything has evolved and with the need to be you know, the need for success meaning that we that these bar the bar had to allow for everyone and not just a specific section of the community it it has helped not only integrate the leather community into the gay community as a whole, but it's helped the vanilla gay community understand a little more about kink and leather and BDSM. Well, I know like, um, you know, you mentioned pumping station, which I'm very familiar with, but like I coming up as a young queer in Memphis myself, like I was more familiar with Drew's, but I always did associate pumping station with like the leather daddies, you know, like that's always who I thought of when I thought of pumping station. So um, I I love that, you know, the work, the the work, the labor that pumping station and Drew's both have put in for the gay community in Memphis, as far as 
integrating that because I know, uh, you know, I'll sing Tammy's praises all day long. I love her. Oh yes, uh, Tammy is man. <laughs> uh, we are so thankful to have a woman like Tammy in this city. She is a force to be reckoned with, and oh, just so thankful for her. So yeah. thankful for her. Yeah, and and you know, just yeah, can't like you said, cannot sing her praises enough for what she has done for the Memphis uh, gay and lesbian G, you know, and all the other letters. In right. our the rainbow brigade. I mean, yeah, the rainbow brigade. <laughs> but yes, uh, she's she's wonderful. So okay, so then with you know us mentioning you know the current scene like how do you how do you find old guard practices being integrated into you know new guard vanilla sort of or not really vanilla but you know younger um practices and principles like how do you see that evolving into the newer application of like BDSM and kink at places like pumping station or private events, things like that. I see it in small ways and, you know, not to sound not like I'm, you know, banging on my own drum, but think because of, of men like me um, who lived, who, who, who were part of the old guard passing down information to, like I said, my husband, who's, you know, 23 years younger than me. So he's in the millennial generation. But because I've passed on my experience through training him and helping him uh, find his way in the leather community, he in turn is sharing that information with the millennial generation and the zennial generation that's even younger. Um, so I think to answer your question, I think that the way old guard is being integrated into the new guard is it's kind of you know filtering down from my generation who is sharing that information with some of these younger men who in turn share the information and share the information and that is my heart right there that is letting me in my lifetime see that my experience and that the knowledge of the men who came before me is living on in these younger generations, even though the way leather looks today is quite different because we have pups and we have all of these different iterations happening like i had spoken of earlier where you're sort of cherry picking things that appeal to you and creating your own new thing and so i think that's how old guard is living on through the new guard and as tier was saying earlier about seeing sort of a resurgence of some of the old guard protocols within the uh hetero bdsm leather society you know people I'm ho I, I, I'm hopeful that as things continue to you know it's sort of that that continual circle yeah, yeah that overlap. you know yeah that overlap so I'm hoping that as things continue to evolve and grow we'll see maybe a resurgence of some of the more formal protocols uh, within the younger and new guard as well. I hope so too. Because I enjoy it, <laughs> especially, you know, in the heterosexual BDSM community. Now, kind of to the point that you were just making, because this generation, both the millennial and the zennials, have so much more access, easy access to information about multiple different niches within the community and the lifestyle. How do you see social media and the Internet specifically changing the gay leather scene how how is it impacted at least from your experience the community uh it's impacted it hugely uh especially here in memphis um and he, here's the biggest way that i see it our bars are disappearing specifically uh, gay bars that uh, are, are bars that that have catered specifically to gay and lesbians are disappearing because 
in my day, if you wanted to meet people who were like you, you had to go to a place where there were people like you. These days, because of social media, because of the internet, because of all the different apps, all you have to do is get on your phone and you can find people like you and you can meet meet them in public or meet them at your house or their house or wherever and you don't have to have a specific place to go to meet people so i in memphis it has resulted in where we used to have 15 gay and lesbian oriented bars now we have three you know so that's how i've seen it impact memphis and i'm sure in other areas the it's a, it's been impactful in in in, say, in some ways but I, I know in bigger cities they're able to because of their larger gay communities uh able to still maintain having you know quite a number of bars but here in memphis to, to see us go from the 15 bars that we used to have down to three i think a lot of the reason behind that is because of the easy accessibility that this younger generation has by picking up their phone and doo -doo -doo. oh yeah you know hey let's go for coffee let's meet up let's do this yeah. you know well i remember i mean uh i know what was it a couple couple of years ago right i think it was focus did that article on again tammy and drews and the mural she has up on the main dance floor where the drag shows are yeah. that has all the list of all of the bars that have come and gone that were specifically gay bars um and i only knew of two uh, right now that were specifically gay drews and pumping station what was the third one the the, the the third one is atomic rose oh that's right i forgot about yeah. that one. Okay, um, yeah. and though i've never been there personally i know that it is sort of catering to the gay and lesbian community mainly uh you know but these days too uh, a lot of bars are Mingle. choosing not yeah a, a lot of bars are choosing not to try to pigeonhole themselves by being labeled a gay bar or you know you know uh so but yes atomic rose was what i was re referring to okay yeah i'd forgotten about that one yeah. and then i know that's got to be such an interesting feeling too because you know small story time here um i know in my experience Again, young queer in Memphis, I grew up with, or I came up with going to Spectrum on the weekends. Yes. And, you know, a few years ago, prior to COVID and everything else, um, I was doing a show there with QCG Productions. And we were go-going and, you know, there was a few of us that were up on a balcony during the drag show at one point. And we were, you know, kind of laughing, but we're looking around and we're like, oh my gosh, so many babies, so many, you know, young kids. because. At this point, they were allowing 18-year-olds. And we were just kind of laughing. And like, then we paused. And there was this moment where we were just going, there are a lot of kids, like young kids. There are a lot of kids. Oh, my God. Like, how cool is it to see so many young people coming up and feeling comfortable? You know, and this was when I was, I was maybe 26, 27. And I was having that moment of there are so many children that feel comfortable and safe coming out and coming to these big events and things like that. And had, that was just that surreal moment. Cause even me, you know, at 18, it was very teeheed and looked, you know, down on coming from, you know, South Haven, Mississippi to be going to a gay bar. Like you're going to the gay club. What? Ew. Right. You know, and that's just within the last 12, 15 years. So I can't even imagine what that's been like for you, having seen that evolution over the last 30, 40 years. Right. It, it, it has been, um, it's been it, you know, it's been quite amazing to see it all transpire the way it has. Uh, and while I'm incredibly glad and incredibly thankful that these, the younger generation does not have quite near the struggle that I had. They have this the ability just to be who they are and um, and 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 meet up anywhere they want to meet up and not be too overly concerned about it. 
uh, you know, while I'm quite thankful and grateful for all of that, at the same time, I feel a little sad for this younger generation because I feel that in some ways they've missed out on the mystique and the magic and the wonderment of being a part of something that seemed so very special because if you were going back in my day, going to the gay bars, they didn't have big neon signs out front. It was mostly you had to know where that location was. Right. It was like a secret handshake. So yes. you had to yes. know someone who knew someone. Yes. <laughs> and so I feel in some ways, this younger generation has missed out on that mystery and that mystique and that wonderment that I that I enjoyed. But at the same time, I mean, just so incredibly grateful that they don't have to be so concerned that they can just sort of be themselves. And, and, and you know, I'm a hairstylist. That's what I do for a living. And just the amount of information that I hear from clients who now have kids who are teenagers and identifying in their, uh, you know, in however way they want to identify and being accepted for that. It, 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 it is incredible. It is so incredible, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's wonderful, but I think in some 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 way, either large or small, they've missed out on being part of something that just made me as a young person feel kind of special and kind of unique and different because I was part of something that only uh, you know only those in the new in the know knew about it. And and anyway, I, I'm gushing over my own nostalgia here so but i hope that i I hope that answers your question yeah it does and it it actually leads me to another one that wasn't on our outline but i thought about while you were talking and and this kind of goes for both of you actually uh tier and den um so you mentioned that it it sort of had like this speakeasy kind of uh, mystique to it with the gay leather scene. And so my question, I guess, for both of you is a little bit of how much do you think social media and social media? Yeah. Well, not just social media, but, you know, just social media leading to BDSM kink leather being more um, acceptable. How much do you think that that has changed um, in regards to what protocols, which protocols, um, are followed and even how they're followed as far as like new guard being less strict with their protocol versus old guard. And, you know, how I'm sure old guards protocols came from a sense of, you know, needing to be more safe and secure and locked down and private versus new guard who are just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm gay. Woohoo. You know, right, like, right. you know, how, how do you think that that's changed it in your experience? Uh, in my experience, uh, it has yeah, it has changed it quite significantly, significantly because, as you were saying, uh, you know, in in my time, uh, yeah, it was much more about keeping everything under wraps, hush hush, only those who knew knew, you know, kind of thing. Whereas today. And in my day, too, those protocols were really, really, as I said very early on in this uh, conversation, they were really respected and really something that people really adhere, you know, they adhered to it so to the letter because that's what was expected. And today with social media and apps and all of these different ways of meeting people and getting together those protocols have have not completely gone out the window but they 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 they've become a very diluted soft you know squishy kind of uh place to be because people can sort of get away with 
saying things that they wouldn't have gotten away with back in my day, you know, because there is this much more, uh, it's just much more accepted and much more, there's not the need for the, the, or the, the younger generation, I don't think, feel they have the need to be so regimented. Completely agree with that. And and I mean, I, I think it's much the same. I think the main impact social media has had on at least the heterosexual BDSM scene is it has accelerated the evolution of New Guard and of the scene. Whereas before, you know, there's always going to be a natural progression and evolution. It was much more consistent and much slower. Now, with the rise of the access to all of the information from different regions, different countries even, and the co-mingling of people from all of those regions meeting up, you know, coming together once a year and having like a national event, I think the the, the speed with which that evolution has happened is just gaining, 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 gaining. It's going faster and faster, which I both love and don't love for different reasons, right? Like you mentioned, a lot of those old school principles and old guard protocols and tenants are a little bit softer. The lines between old guard and new guard have been, you know, have been fuzzied, if you will, because of that. But at the same time, I think the resurgence of some of those protocols and tenants wouldn't have happened on the level it has without social media. So I think it's both, you know, like with anything, it's a give and take. It's been both good and bad. I agree. I agree. Very well said. <laughs> Well, and I have to wonder, too, if that's where the sort of, um, you know, you both mentioned earlier about preferring the mentor method, having that, you know, mentor to sort of guide you safely into the scene. I wonder if that's, you know, we're, we're, we're putting some stank on social media, but, you know, it has had its perks. But, like, I, I do wonder if that has sort of led to or contributed to the deterioration of the importance or the 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 respect for that mentorship oh a hundred percent and i've made this point you've heard me make this point on some of our lives within tiktok my biggest problem with a lot of the people on social media that put on the hat right they're trying on a role of someone within the bdsm or kink world without having had the experience of being out in the community person to person face to face so people can say whatever the hell they want but if you would have tried to have pulled some of that in person at an event especially pre-covid uh, it would not have gone over very well. So to me, that that is the problem with social media is people just thinking that, you know, one thing is a specific way and they can say or behave however they wish without any, without any repercussions. That wouldn't fly out in the community face-to-face. I totally agree um, to that point. <laughs> and I, 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 I say this quite often to people, I think a lot of the issues um, that come up with people having, uh, finding themselves having bad or uh, in a bad situation or having a negative experience with leather or BDSM or kink comes from what I refer to as the weekend warriors. These people who dress up because of the accessibility of the internet anyone can go online and buy a harness or buy a mirror cap or buy whatever and they can put it on because they've got a nice body and they look great and they go out and you know these young wide-eyed you know people young men uh especially who are fascinated like I was, you know, fascinated with Glenn Hughes of the village people and, and approaching these people who I refer to as the weekend warrior who's, who, who are playing dress up and they end up taking this young person home, for example. And then this young person comes out of the situation feeling used yes. or, feeling that they 
were hurt in some way, whether it was physically or mentally or emotionally or however, simply because they they saw this person that you know so the weekend warrior thing is something that just drives me crazy because i think it really does take away from those of us who are in the lifestyle and who go about it safe sane and consensual right in a healthy way. And we have the same conversations yes. about, you know, the, the, the doms, the, the people that want to be uh -huh. dominance within the scene, but they're using it like a role. They put the hat on on the weekend and think that they can practice in a healthy, consensual manner. And we see so many negative experiences from our followers that say, oh, I have experience and I hate the term, but I know why people use it. I had an experience with a fake dom and now I'm completely turned off to the scene. Like, yes. I get it. If, if you're just doing this, if you're putting this on like an act without going through training, without knowing the psychological impact of what play you're engaging in or um, the physical concerns, if you're into certain types of play, that can be very dangerous. Very true. I would just like to petition that we call the, instead of saying fake doms, we just call them tick tops. <laughs> can, we, can we make that a thing? I feel like that should work. I'll vote for that. I'll go with that. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah, this the uh, you know that 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 bothers me uh, tremendously, uh, and it, it just I, I I think because of of the accessibility of and and people who can just you know like we were saying go out and just buy buy the gear and wear the gear and play at being dominant for the night or the weekend uh really does some damage to those who are truly into the lifestyle and who as tier was saying has been trained and gone through everything that that we go through to make sure that we are practitioners in a way that is healthy and safe and sane and consensual and enjoyable for for all involved whether Absolutely. whether dominant or submissive well and it makes us have to defend the community and in which case we wouldn't always have to if people were entering or they were ingressing into the community in a healthy way they wouldn't hopefully have had these negative experiences but I kind of love what you said there because it can turn a lot of people off and talking about the history of, you know, BDSM and the gay leather scene, all of the different phases that it's gone through and how social media has affected it. I'm curious, where do you see the future of the gay leather scene and community going? Knowing what all we know, where is it headed? I feel it's headed in a very good direction. Uh, I honestly do um, because it's more visible it's more accessible people can find it a lot easier than they used to and those who maybe just be trying it on for size and as long as they're finding people who are knowledgeable and who are practicing it in a healthy way i think that really is to the advantage of the future of leather and kink and BDSM because it will allow it to, you know, pardon the term, come out of the shadows and be a little more, you know, seen in the daylight. Uh, it will help people see that we're not sick, twisted individuals. It will help people understand that, yes, you know, I might have the certain fetish but that's okay because it's healthy. It's done in a safe, sane, and consensual manner. It's done between consenting adults. And so I think that because of social media and because of the apps and because of the amount of diversity that is, that is now flooding into the leather and kink and BDSM scene with this younger generation, it, it will help, like I said, 
it will help take away some of the negative connotation of what it is to be into leather and kink and BDSM and help people understand that, like, like I was saying that, you know, that you're, that you're not sick and twisted and demented simply because, you know, you like someone to take a flogger to you. <laughs> I, I love that too. Cause I mean, we have, we have so many toys and we, we want there to be less of a stigma around. Right. That. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you think it's headed in that direction. And I, I hope it does head in that direction. Same for the BDSM scene. Yeah. It's become normalized to, like you said earlier, be uniquely yourself, feel good and comfortable in your own skin. And as long as it's between consenting adults and you're trying to do it in a healthy way, I'm all for it. Now, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate you talking with us today and giving us your story and walking us through your journey. I cannot wait for us to come up to Memphis and, and go out drinking with everybody up there and, and meet you in person. I'm very excited about when yeah, we meet you. That would be wonderful. I would love it. <laughs> but we're done with our regular questions. But what we like to do on all of our interviews is end the, the, the latter part of the interview with a speed round question. So I'm going to kick it over to Twin and let her pick one of the speed round questions uh, to, to ask you. I also just wanted to say thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate you you know, coming on, taking the time to educate, you know, especially as an, a fellow member of the Rainbow Brigade. You know, <laughs> it means a whole lot to me to, you know, hear these stories from your perspective, you know, with everything you've gone through, you know, it, it meant a lot to me to hear. And especially as a fellow Memphis native, you know, it really means a lot. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so with that said, um, we're going to end it on a positive note. What then is your favorite part of the leather gay kink community and scene? My favorite part Oh, that's, uh, it's hard to pick, pick a favorite part. My favorite part, though, truly is the brotherhood of it all. Uh, just that these men and women that are into leather and BDSM and kink community, they are there for you no matter what. And just that that bond that's created, that brotherhood. Um, and I, I just recently got to experience that in the most incredible way by competing at International Mr. Leather in Chicago back in May. And just being able to be on an international stage with others from all over the world who share a common interest in leather and kink and BDSM and fetish was one of the most incredible life-changing experiences. So that's a long way around to answer your question, Twin, but I would definitely say brotherhood and the love and commitment that the leather community has for each other, especially within leather clubs. Um, that that brotherhood is is something that is just you 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 rarely find it, and so yeah, the brotherhood, and you know that tracks all the way back to the men in the war coming, you know the come the just having that having to rely on each other in every type of situation. And that's, you know, that sort of sort of brings it all full full circle uh, to, you know, where a lot of this all stems from and began from, uh, you know, men returning from World War II and, and, and seeking out that that brotherhood that they had uh, while while fighting in the war. So, yes, brotherhood, brotherhood and unity are to me the most incredible and important parts of being part of the leather community. Absolutely. I know speaking from my own experience, the camaraderie within the queer community in Memphis is one that I definitely was not expecting, you know, uh, to feel. And so like just that universal acceptance from everybody, you know, the, the love and support that I've always been shown within you know, Memphis community and down here in New Orleans has been absolutely incredible. And I know that that made a huge impact on me 
Um, so yeah, I, I love that answer. And for those of our listeners who want to learn more about the Tennessee Leather Tribe or Hoist, um, they both have websites. I believe the Tennessee Leather Tribe also has a Facebook page as well. So you can go there and hoistmemphis.org is the website. We'll link all of the the uh, websites down in the description. Well, and before we go off, you said you had a, a competition coming up for with your step down in October, correct? Yes. Uh, October 7th, 8th, and 9th, uh, Hoist will be finally uh, able to hold the uh, Mid-South Kink and Leather Sur Contest um, at w- Whispering Oaks Campground uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and that, again, is going to be October 7th, 8th and 9th. It's a leather run weekend with the contest uh, being the um, highlight. Of, well, one of the highlights. I won't say the highlight, but one of the highlights. And excitingly enough, uh, this will be the, the third year for the contest. And this year, they're actually adding Mid-South Kink and Leather Boy. So there will be, there they will be we will be sashing a new Mid-South Kink and Leather Sir. And for the first time ever, ever we will be sashing a Mid-South Kink and Leather Boy. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting weekend. And you can find out more information on that weekend. It's called Pig, Pig Weekend, P-I-G, Pig Weekend. Uh, and you can find out a lot more information about that by uh, going to the Hoist website as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Dan. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. No, thank you. I've I've enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to, to share, you know, some of my story. Of course, this has been an absolute honor and I'm so glad you were here. But with that note, uh, we are going to go ahead and sign off as always, my darlings, remember to be kind to yourself, be kind to others, give yourself grace, love and patience and more importantly go out and do some dope shit bye